brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you love ghosts and all things paranormal? If yes, then welcome to Bone Chilling Tales to Keep You Awake podcast, where you get to sit back, relax, and listen to some creepy true stories from all over the world. With that, let's dive into today's creepy stories. Deep Dell. I recently had some time off work, so my husband and I decided to take a short trip to San Francisco for the sole purpose of touring Alcatraz Island. I had never realized how close the island and the city of San Francisco was until we were on the ferry heading towards the prison. It made me understand a bit better how torturous it must have been for those in solitary confinement, cell block D, to be able to see and at times here, all of the activity of the bustling city, to have that freedom so close and yet so far. My visit to the prison itself made the truth of that all the more harrowing to think about. While the weather in the Bay Area was enough to rival that of my current hometown of Las Vegas, as we approached the island, an eerie fog began to roll over and enshroud the prison. As we were standing on the landing dock and looking up at the sky, we could literally see the fog descending from the horizon. It was like something out in an apocalyptic movie, completely cutting the island off from the outside world. It was windy too, and the cold chilled me to the bone, making me regret leaving my jacket in the hotel room. But even those who were adequately dressed could feel the chill as well, and it seemed to go right through you. We ended up going for the afternoon tour, rather than the night tour, since it had to be booked well in advance, and this trip had been more spur of the moment. It was an audio tour, so we were each given a headset at the beginning, but I chose not to use it. Everyone else did, but I didn't want a voice in my ear to interfere with my experience of the prison, and anything I might naturally hear. Since we'd gone in the middle of September, there were very few children around which I was appreciative of. Not that I have anything against kids, but they can cause a lot of unnecessary noise and distraction. 
and I wanted to soak in as much of the natural environment as I could. The Torah rules themselves recommended that children had to be at least nine years old, since the prison encompasses a large area, and younger children are more likely to become bored or restless, never mind run the risk of getting lost. I remember the rules being very strict about unruly children not being tolerated. I only saw three children during the whole trip to the island. One baby in a carrier, and a boy in a wheelchair accompanied by his brother. This is important because of the first experience I had there involved children. While I was walking towards the end of cell block A, I heard the distinct sound of children laughing, followed by running footsteps. I was near the door to the outside recreation area in the mess hall, heading towards the stairwell that led to the upper floors of the A block. I heard them twice as we walked around that area, what sounded like children giggling and playing together. But when we checked, there were no children around the area that we could see. The research I did afterwards didn't mention any reports of child ghosts in the prison. But I did find a story about a 13-year-old girl who fell to her death three floors down a stairwell back during the Native American occupation of the island during the late 1960s. It never mentioned which stairwell it was, but I believe it could be the one at the end of cell block A, where I had heard the children laughing. After we finished our tour of cell blocks A, B, and C, we proceeded to explore the infamous D block, I had expected a darker and drearier, more dungeon-like atmosphere, so I was surprised at how well lit the hall was. It was still a depressing place, though, since the light came in from the two stories of windows that the upper levels of the cell block faced, giving the prisoners a full view of the bay and the city, when it wasn't covered in fog, of course. That must have been torture indeed. With the exception of one cell on the ground floor level, all of the cells here were dubbed the whole. Here in D-Block especially, many men were said to have lost their sanity while imprisoned, and a few also lost their lives. There are a lot of stories about this cell block, but the one that stuck with me the most is the story of cell 14D. It is here that a man was said to have lost his life after screaming in terror throughout the night, that he was being attacked by a demon and was found dead in the morning with evidence of having been strangled, even though it was impossible for anyone else to have got to him. The first cell on the ground floor was just like all of the others in the prison. It was in here, though, that I refused to step foot. My husband had wanted to get a picture of me behind the bars of the cell, but I simply could not allow myself to go inside. Twice he insisted, and twice I was overcome with abject fear at the thought of stepping into the cell. It was a fear the likes of which I had never felt before, as though my body had a complete aversion to taking even one step inside. Even if I had willed it, I don't think I would have been able to. I did, however, go into cell 14D, where the man was said to have been strangled and snapped a few photos. It was incredibly depressing going in there, but it was nothing like the fear I felt towards that first cell, the fear which I still can't really describe, nor understand today. After we finished the tour, we headed back to the landing dock. On the way, we noticed a tiny outbuilding we hadn't explored yet, which was said to be the morgue. We got in the line to go inside, 
and I was overcome with my usual morbid curiosity. The outside door to the building had been completely removed, so a sheet of plexiglass had been placed over the opening to keep out the elements. The room itself is below ground level, but you can look through the glass to the room below. Taking any kind of photos is futile, since the plexiglass just distorts them all. But I did find a tiny hole where the glass didn't quite meet the door frame, where I could fit the lens of my camera. I took a few pictures through the opening, and the results were rather interesting. But what I remembered most was the complete range of emotions I had felt while peering through the glass into the room below. Disgusted, sad, happy, lonely, fearful, and finally relief, as though I had been set free, all in a matter of seconds. Story 10 This is the story of my first ever ghost hunt. Before it even started, I knew this trip would be a memorable one. I just never anticipated exactly how memorable, or for what reasons. When I first arrived there and met everyone, none of us could have suspected what would be waiting for us on the inside. 6.45 p.m. We all ended up arriving at the prison 15 minutes early. The tour wasn't supposed to start until 7 p.m., so this gave us a bit of time to introduce ourselves and get an idea of what to expect. When we arrived, there were some cars pulled up at the front gate, but they quickly left when they noticed us. As they passed by, one of the men warned us to be careful, while another told us, there are ghosts in there. We figured they were probably just trying to scare us and laughed it off. 7 p.m. We did a quick head count before we headed inside. Out of the 15 that was supposed to be there, there were only 13. Miracles, I've changed names for the sake of privacy, told us that two of her friends hadn't arrived yet, so they would be joining us later. With that, we started the tour without them at exactly 7 p.m. As we headed up the stairs to the main prison entrance, both Miracles and I started to feel dizzy around the second step from the top. We both noticed a strange smell, too, but it passed too quickly to properly realize what it was. Scott, our tour guide, took us to the warden's quarters first, where he shared a story surrounding the room. He told us about the warden's wife who, while trying to get her hat box down from the closet, accidentally dislodged her husband's handgun and was shot in the head. Rumors purported that her ghost still lingered there, and that you could sometimes smell her perfume from time to time. At that moment, I noticed a certain smell but it wasn't perfume, and I couldn't quite place it, so I didn't mention it. 8 p.m. After the tour was finished, we all headed back outside to wait for Miracle's friends. As we were waiting, I decided to visit the west cell block to take some pictures. I'd seen one of the rooms in a dream a few days before the trip, so I was eager to check it out. I told the others that I was going to take some photos, some of them were surprised I was going on my own, but I promised them I'd be right back. As soon as I entered the building, I realized I had no idea how to get there. I started wandering down the hallways, hoping I might see a sign for directions, but something made me pause. Somewhere close by, I heard a very loud clang, 
which sounded almost identical to a cell door slamming shut. I knew everyone was outside, and nobody else should have been in here, so that itself was pretty creepy. Realizing I didn't want to be wandering around without knowing where I was going, I headed back to the entrance and decided to look at the map. But as soon as I reached the front doors, the rest of the group came in. They joked that I hadn't got very far, so I simply told them I was lost. Later on, I confided to my friend Maria about what I'd heard. The jail cell door slamming closed despite nobody else being there. 8.05 to 8.50 p.m. I soon found out that the group I was part of was very eager to explore the hole as well as the basement, the two darkest places in the prison. Despite being surrounded by beautiful Romanesque and Gothic architecture, everyone wanted to go to the dungeon. I suppose I couldn't blame them, though, given we were on a ghost hunt. As we were heading down to the basement, my flashlight started to falter. It was probably my fault since I didn't check the batteries before I'd left, but since I'd somehow found myself leading the group, it made for quite a nerve-wracking experience every time the light flickered and plunged us into darkness. We finally reached the part of solitary confinement where Scott had told us that one of the guards had been beaten to death by an inmate who managed to escape. It was especially dark down here, and the air was very stifling. As I walked into the doorway, I heard a horrible grating sound incredibly close to my ear, which made me freak out. As I was panicking, asking everyone what the hell that was, my friend Maria calmly informed me that it had simply been my bag brushing against the fence. I didn't believe her at first, but then I tried to recreate the sound by deliberately brushing against the door. Combined with the crunch of gravel beneath my shoes, it was exactly the same sound. Not a ghost at all, but just my own stupidity. From that moment on, I let someone else with a brighter flashlight lead the way. We finally made it to the sub-basement of solitary confinement, where they had once kept inmates caged up like animals in tiny cells. At some point, one of the wardens had decided it was far too inhumane to keep people down there and had not only stopped sending inmates down there, but had had the entire basement area bricked over and sealed off. The area was only discovered later on when parts of the building had been demolished, unearthing the sealed basement. While we were exploring, we discovered a dead bird in the corner of the room. We were pretty deep underground, so I had no idea how it had gotten in here, but it must have flown in by accident and been unable to find its way out. Something about seeing the crumpled feathers and broken body made me feel uneasy. The heavy air definitely didn't help either, and I started to feel a little lightheaded. I didn't know whether it was the humidity, heat, or the negativity of the place pressing down on us, but it definitely had an effect on me. I thought I might have been thinking too much of it, but miracles told me that she'd had a hard time breathing down there, too. The atmosphere seemed to shift, depending on which area or room we entered. The sub-basement was much cooler than the rest of the prison, while the air in solitary confinement was thicker and made it hard to breathe. But if you went one floor up, the air turned cool again, before going stale and heavy in the next room. 
I had many moments of feeling dizzy and nauseous while exploring the prison. Whether it was pressure changes, temperature changes, or humidity changes, it was all over the place, constantly fluctuating depending on where you went. 9.15 PM We finally left solitary confinement to head to the west cell block. As we made our way to the back, we came across a shower room. It was really dark and unsettling inside. There were trenches dug into the cement, which was supposedly where the water ran, but they reminded me of some kind of ancient temple where the blood of sacrifices would run or something. I knew it was just my imagination getting carried away, but just seeing those deep trenches creeped me out more than it should, especially since the grades had been removed, leaving them as dark holes in the ground. After leaving the shower room, we headed upstairs to what was called the Jesus Room. Apparently a large picture of Jesus had been placed in there for some movie that was filmed here, and the name had just stuck. As Cleaver's friend began to lead the way, with me just behind, we all froze suddenly on the final few steps, staring into the darkness ahead. At first, all we heard was the faint whisper of movement ahead of us, like the beating of leathery wings. And then the screaming began. My first inclination was to cover my ears and block out the wretched sound. But I was also curious to know what it was. Then I heard Cleaver's friend shout in front of me, It's a pissed off bat! He stumbled back, almost treading on my toes, trying to get away from the creature. The closest I can describe that scream is like a banshee. It was so loud and screeching and then the bat started attacking us, taking dives at our head. We all ducked, but at one point I looked up and I swear I saw the bat's eyes glowing red. Bats are a leading carrier of rabies! I shouted to the others as we tried to swat the bat away from our heads. I don't want to get bit and ruin this trip! As the bat continued screaming at us, I retreated back to the safety in the shower room below. We all clustered together making sure none of us had been bit. And then Miracles announced that she's going back up to take a picture. We all thought she was mad, of course, but that didn't stop her from going back into the fray of madness. Honestly, I was worried she was going to get bit and turn into some kind of zombie bat. But luckily, she managed to return unscathed. 9.30 PM After the bat fiasco, we met up with the others in the break room for pizza. They had left the lights on for us in there, so it was a nice reprieve from the darkness. But that peace wasn't going to last long. While we were eating, a bat managed to find its way inside. I thought it was the demon bat from earlier and immediately tried to hide, but it flew around once and then swiftly left again. What we didn't know, however, was that this was only the start the bats had now found the location of our headquarters and our food, and they were gathering for an attack, but we were all too foolish to know what was coming. 10.25 p.m. We finished eating and made our way back to the warden's quarters, where people have claimed to see and smell the presence of the warden's late wife. We hung around for a few moments, hoping to get a glimpse of some of the rumors. A short while later, Miracles asked us if we could smell that. We all started sniffing the air like bloodhounds, desperate to get a whiff of whatever Miracles could smell. 
Then we caught it, a rather strong scent of perfume wafting around us. It wasn't like anything we'd smelled on the rest of the trip, and everyone claimed they weren't wearing any perfume that smelled like that. As quickly as it came, the smell disappeared again. I thought I smelled it again a few seconds later, but then it was gone. We all agreed that it had an almost baby powder, talcum powder smell to it, but also light and faintly flowery. After that, none of us smelled that scent again for the rest of the night, and we had no idea where it came from. After this incident, things went pretty quiet around the prison. We explored a few more places, but nothing out of the ordinary happened, so we retreated back to the break room to exchange stories with Cosmogul's group. They had been exploring the prison with Scott, the tour guide, and had been able to pick up on some voices on their DVR. I figured things must have been quiet for us since the ghosts were following the other group instead. 12 a.m. After taking a break, we split up into groups again and went exploring once more. We came across Granny and her friends, as well as Miracles, who was stoking out the place where Scott claimed to have been punched years ago by an unseen force. I got a weird vibe from that area, and all of us could hear something scurrying and shuffling about in one of the rooms to the west of the central hall. Thinking it might have been a bat, Miracles went to investigate and see what was causing the strange scuffling and clicking noises. But there were no bats, or any other animals in the room, so we had no idea what it was. At this point, I was starting to get fairly tired and was struggling to keep my eyes open. It was only midnight, but I was someone who liked my sleep. But despite that, I knew falling asleep in the prison would just lead to me being abandoned by the others, so I didn't want to risk it. 12.30 a.m. Granny brought out her EMF detector to examine the area and started getting repeatedly strong signals around one part of the floor. We checked the area and the ceiling of the floor beneath, but there were no lights or electrical wiring that might have been causing the EMF detector to go off. The device didn't beep anywhere else except for that one spot, so if it had been wiring, it would have registered along the whole wire rather than a single area. We ended up coming back to it later, and the EMF still registered something in that same spot, but we never figured out why. There might have been something under the flooring, but it was still strange, and one of the mysteries of the night was what was hiding under the floor in that area. After that, we headed to the prison's chapel. There had been several reports of seeing a lady crying or speaking there, so we were hoping to get a glimpse of the mysterious crying ghost. She was a more recent sighting, according to Scott and the tour guides, and they were still trying to figure out who she was and why she had suddenly appeared there. Scott wanted to find out what she wanted, but we were just hoping to get some kind of sign of her presence. There were, of course, bats in the chapel. There had been bats in almost every room we'd been in that night, but they mostly stayed quiet up in the rafters. It was only the demon bat that had caused such a ruckus. 12.45 a.m. While we were all sitting in the church pews, trying to get a feel for the place, Maria, sitting in the pew behind me, told us she suddenly felt a strange breeze across the back of her neck. Her skin immediately broke out into goosebumps, 
and she was adamant it wasn't the same as the normal draft we had been filling throughout the building. She promptly stood up and came to sit beside me, and the strange breeze disappeared. She didn't fill it again for the rest of the night. In the furthest front pew is where the figure of the woman is said to have been seen on more than one occasion. It's also where the moonlight appeared to shine the brightest through the windows, though I'm not sure if that was relevant to anything. For a while after that, things remained fairly quiet around the prison. We moved from the chapel to the east wing by around 12.55 a.m., and from there we explored various other places. Nothing of interest happened during this time, however, and we were gradually starting to get tired from walking and climbing so many stairs. As our fatigue peaked, we decided to return back to the break room to get a drink and have a little rest. 2.20 a.m. Miracle's friends wanted to leave early, so we all saw them off at the front gate while getting some fresh air. I hadn't realized how heavy and stuffy it was inside the prison until we stepped outside and let the cool night air wash over us. It was very soothing. Miracles, Maria, and I were all sitting on the stairs to the front entrance when we heard a door slam shut. It wasn't the main front door to the lobby, but the second door you had to go through to access the building. It slammed closed so loudly that I could feel the vibrations from the impact, and Maria almost fell down the stairs from surprise. The front door hadn't moved at all during this time, so it was unlikely to have merely been caused by a draft or something. It was only later, when I had developed my camera film, that I discovered a figure in one of my photos, shrouded in white and watching us from the front tower while we were waiting outside. The photo had been taken only moments before the door had slammed shut. 2.45 a.m. After seeing Miracle's friends off, we all headed back to the break room to talk about what we'd seen and experienced throughout the night. We were all pretty tired at this point, and the oppressive air of the prison was starting to wear us down, so our guards were completely dropped, and thus, we never saw them coming. They struck while we were sitting at the tables, debating where to go next while we still had the energy. They crept in without our notice and attacked so quickly that we could never have anticipated the strike. The demon bat was back, and this time, he'd brought his friends. I had no idea how they'd found us, but they attacked with such ferocity I was more fearful than I had been the whole night. They dove at our heads, beating their wings and baring their fangs while their eyes glowed with hatred. I wish I was exaggerating, but I honestly felt the viciousness of their intent. I had never seen bats act like this before. Cosmo, Maria, and I all dove under the table, trying to escape the complete and utter frenzy happening above. But we were wrong to think we'd be safe under the table. Before I knew it, something small and dark barreled beneath the table with us. It was the same bat from the Jesus room. I knew it. It got between us and started to screech in our faces as the three of us tumbled out from beneath the table, trying to find some kind of reprieve from the attack. At this point, the three of us started screaming, both out of fear and in an attempt to scare the bats away. Our screams must have echoed pretty loudly through the prison, 
because Cleaver and her friend heard us all the way from solitary confinement and began to head towards us, thinking we were in trouble. Miracle somehow had enough time between the bad attacks to snap a photo of the unfolding horror. It definitely made for an interesting souvenir of the chaos of the night afterwards. While I was squatting at the end of the table, arms over my head to protect my face from any wayward claws, I saw an opening ahead of me. At this point, it was every man for himself, so I left the others and ran towards the opening, my arms flailing as I screamed, trying to scare the bats away. That's when I'd realized I'd pretty much dived headfirst back into the prison, alone and without a flashlight. At that point, I couldn't tell if it was safer here in the darkness or out there with the bats. I heard footsteps rushing towards me through the dark and braced myself for something worse than the demon bat. But it was just Cleaver and her friend coming to see what all the commotion was about. I told them that the bats had decided to attack and that some of the group were still in the break room where the horror was unfolding. We left them behind and headed through the door towards the back patio block where the rest of the group were taking a smoke break and had no idea what was happening inside. As I told Scott and the others what had happened, we all hear a loud thud come from inside the break room behind us, and then silence. Thinking that one of the others must have managed to defeat the demon bat, we all headed back inside to size up the damage we'd caused in the panic. Luckily, it was fairly minimal. Reformatory probably had enough to worry about renovating the decrepit parts of the prison without having to clear up our mess, too. Most of us had made it out of there unscathed, but Miracles had been exposed to the bat the whole time. When we all looked at her, she was fumbling hopelessly with a water bottle and appeared to be foaming at the mouth. My first thought was, Dear God, the demon bat got Miracles, especially when she turned to glare at us and uttered something that sounded suspiciously like, Die, you all! But after finally getting the cap off her water bottle and taking a sip, she repeated herself, It's just Tylenol, and it tastes horrible. We were all finally able to relax after that. Miracles wasn't going to be turning zombie bat on us, and we'd finally managed to shake our attacker off. We were all too exhausted by then to continue exploring the prison. It was a very interesting end to the night indeed. And headed into the cell herself to take a picture of the same sign. When she showed me it after, the note read, Reserved for Liam. The thing was, I knew it had said my name before. It wasn't like I'd briefly glanced at the note and thought it had said my name. I'd gone right up to it and stared at it for at least a minute, and it had definitely said Laura. What freaked me out most was that the handwriting was completely different. The one I'd seen was a messy scribble, whereas this was printed neatly in block letters. It didn't make sense for me to have made such a mistake. We shrugged it off and continued the rest of the tour, but I haven't stopped thinking about it since. As soon as I got home, I did some research on Liam, but found nothing. The only Liam with any connections to the prison was the actor who played a character in the movie, Alcatraz, when he was a little boy. During my research, I also found a video from a paranormal investigator who had gone into the same cell, 
Cell 11. She was a psychic and had picked up on an inmate who was crazy for Satan, who had done all sorts of dark rituals within that cell. Just thinking about it makes me feel uneasy. I've been praying every day since that visit. I'm certain now that place is haunted, or at least there's something unnatural about it. If you ever find yourself visiting, go into the solitary confinement block and visit cell 11. If you read the note in the top right corner of the cell, maybe you'll see your name there too. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15000 178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.